Hey everybody and welcome into episode 53 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody is having a wonderful Easter weekend. Now I know that there's no NASCAR this weekend. That's usual when it's Easter, but nevertheless going to recap the wild weekend that was at Bristol Motor Speedway. I mean, that's nothing new, but Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt for the very first time in NASCAR history. Going to talk about what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. And also the NFL, expanding to 17 regular season games. So we'll get things kicked off with that. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Thank you for all of your support on the Jake's Take podcast page on Facebook. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. So Tuesday afternoon, approximately 2.30, the NFL owners voted in approval of the change at the annual league meeting, which was taking place virtually, obviously because of COVID-19. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, said that this was a monumental moment in NFL history. The CBA with the players and the recently completed media agreements provide the foundation for us to enhance the quality of the NFL experience for our fans. And one of the benefits of each team playing 17 regular season games is the ability for us to continue to grow our game around the world. Each club will now take part in an additional AFC versus NFC game based on division standings from the prior season and on a rotating divisional basis with the AFC teams as the home squad for the additional game this season. The preseason schedule will now consist of three games per team. All 32 teams will play in at least one international game once every eight years per the new enhanced schedule. So obviously... You know, this was something that was agreed upon, you know, with the CBA and the players. But ultimately, like myself and Jason Boone, when we talked about it on Tuesday, I mean, more than anything, I think this is just another money grab for the National Football League. And even though the players agreed on this, Alvin Kamara from the New Orleans Saints, he's been the one that's been the most vocal about it. And he tweeted that day, Obviously, a certain word I can't say, but he just said that it was dumb as hell. Announcing that, you know, this was the season was being expanded to 17 regular season games. And it's kind of ironic, you know, like I said, I mean, this is this is what you signed up for. But I think the point that Alvin Kamara is trying to make and that several other players are trying to make is that, you know, Roger Goodell, he's been preaching about, you know, safety, 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 and so on and so forth. But is it really... Are you really looking at the interest of safety for your players when obviously adding a 17th regular season game just means more money? So obviously that you know that's one of the things that that has been talked about a lot. I guess one of the positive things about this is obviously the preseason schedule. Now it'll be 3 games instead of the usual 4, but I think a lot of players Coaches, teams, and the fans especially, you know, last year when all of preseason was canceled because of COVID-19, I don't think anyone was really shedding any tears over that. Now, three games per team, but let's not forget, obviously, we still have the Hall of Fame game. So if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or a Dallas Cowboys fan, I don't think that you're entirely thrilled about, you know, four preseason games, you know, because like I said, that's, that is the Hall of Fame game. It was supposed to be the Hall of Fame game for last year with the Steelers and the Cowboys. You know, so many Steelers were going in last year. When you look at, obviously, Troy Polamalu being a first ballot Hall of Famer, 
Bill Cower and Donnie Shell being a part of the, the centennial class with the 100th NFL season. And of course, on the Dallas Cowboys, Drew Pearson finally, and I mean finally getting in, you know, some 30, 30 years later after retiring. Well, well deserved for Drew. And of course, the 2021, I was going to say that the Hall of Fame class, Alan Fanica, another Pittsburgh Steeler that is going in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, that was long, long overdue as well. So August 5th, 2021 will be the Hall of Fame game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys one year after it was supposed to be. So obviously, as we talked about, the AFC, they are the home team for this additional 17th game against their NFC opponents. And like I said, wherever you finished in your division, you're going up against whoever finished in that particular spot. So AFC East, NFC East, AFC North, NFC West, AFC and NFC South, and AFC West and NFC North. Those are the 17th game matchups that we will have. Of course, obviously, the other thing to take into account is you know, Kay Adams on Good Morning Football, she had a really, really excellent point earlier this week when they announced that the NFL was going to expand to 17 regular season games. And the point that Kay Adams was making is, you know, with this additional game, pretty much every record imaginable is going to get shattered now. And is it really worth celebrating you know is is there really that much pride and that much value in it with it being an additional game and that's an excellent point by Kay Adams that really really is now I I know that this was the first time that the NFL has expanded the regular season since 1978 that's when we went from 14 games to 16 regular season games I think the other negative that comes out of this is you know, the only time in NFL history that they tried an 18-week regular season was in 1993. And this was back when the NFL, when week one and opening day was usually the day before Labor Day. It was that way from about 1992 to about 2000. 1992 to 2000, the regular season in the NFL would always start the day before Labor Day. And so 1993, that was the only time that they did an 18-game regular season, and every single team had two two bye weeks. But obviously with this, it's just one bye week, like has been usual since 1990. So I think that's one of the other flaws that I, I see with this. And, you know, looking ahead, obviously now – you know, last year when we expanded the playoff field from 12 teams to 14 teams, you know, now just the top seed in the AFC and the NFC, they're the only ones to get first-round buys. So, like, what do you do if it's week 17 or week 18 and you have everything wrapped up? You know, because how many times have we seen it over the years? You know, you you rest your starters at the end of the regular season, like Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers love to do, and you play and look absolutely pathetic – and get knocked out of the playoffs one and done just like that. So, and obviously with this change, Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium 
in Los Angeles, originally scheduled for February 6, 2022. It will now be February 13th, 2022. Obviously, this is the latest that the Super Bowl has ever been played. And of course, you know, with the way that the dates fall and everything, eventually, and I mean eventually, we're going to run into that conflict where, you know, what happens if you have the Super Bowl and the Daytona 500 on the same day? Obviously, two of the biggest sporting events in the world when you think of it. You know, the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the world. Let's face it. There's... No arguing about that whatsoever. It's always going to have that 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time kickoff. But obviously, you know, the Daytona 500, I mean, their Super Bowl, you know, often this was a race that would start at noon, 12.30, 1 o'clock. The later we've gotten over the past few years, I would say ever since about like 2007, 2008, Fox being the sole network of the Daytona 500, you know, they've been pushing for these late start times for the Daytona 500, 3 o'clock, like the the past few years, 3.30. I remember even one time, I think it was about 2009 or so, I think they tried starting the Daytona 500 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And how many times have we run into weather issues like this year at the Daytona 500 or last year getting 20 laps in and having to finish it on late Monday afternoon? You know, so obviously, as a network, you know, do you do you take that risk and try and run the Daytona 500 the same day as the Super Bowl? I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, you would have to start that race at either noon or 1 o'clock and hope and pray that you don't have any weather issues like they've had the last two years, especially at the Daytona 500. So, like I said, just a lot of question marks moving forward. So, obviously, before I get into recapping the weekend that was at Bristol Motor Speedway, I just want to glance through these 17th regular season game matchups, some of them that I think are the absolute best, and obviously some that I think are the worst. AFC East versus NFC East, the Buffalo Bills. They'll be hosting the Washington football team. I think that's a really, really intriguing matchup. Obviously, with Buffalo being a young team and coming so close to making it to the Super Bowl last year with Joshua MVP, Allen, as Boone likes to say, going up against a young defensive team in Washington. And Ron Rivera, you know, instantly changing the culture there. But he said, even signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, it is still an open competition for that starting quarterback, you know, with him and Taylor Heineke, who put up an excellent fight in the wildcard round against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm looking forward to that one. Miami Dolphins hosting the New York Giants. You know, uh, Boone talked about it, especially that mega trade that went down last weekend with the Dolphins, the 49ers, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Initially, Miami had the third overall pick that they got from the Houston Texans, and they gave it to the San Francisco 49ers. And it's looking like, you know, the San Francisco 49ers at number three, they are going to take a quarterback. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, he's going number one in the Jags. Zach Wilson, I would imagine him going second overall to the New York Jets. So do they take Mac Jones, who was spotted talking to Kyle Shanahan the other day at his pro day? Or is it a Justin Fields who had an excellent pro day on Tuesday or Trey Lance? 
But Boone had an excellent point. So now you have the sixth overall pick, and his Philadelphia Eagles, who had that sixth overall pick, they now have the 12th overall pick. And the point that Boone made is obviously now that Ryan Fitzpatrick is gone, do you still try and take a quarterback with that sixth overall pick? You know, everyone's saying like, oh, you know, take the, take one of the two Alabama receivers, reunite them with Tua, whether it's Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell or Jamar Chase from LSU. Boone said really when you think of it, it it's almost like the Miami Dolphins, they still – you know, they could say that, you know, Tua is their guy and they're trying to build around him. But, you know, I don't really know if if Tua really has that vote of confidence from the Dolphins' front office. I mean, do they ironically pull Josh Rosen? We saw it back in 2019. You know, Josh Rosen, he gets drafted in the first round by the Arizona Cardinals. They go, I mean, they went 3-13. and Dolphins almost made the playoffs. But sure enough, with that number one pick, they took Kyler Murray, and they shipped Josh Rosen off to the Dolphins. New York Giants, honestly, to me, I feel like they're getting overhyped already. You know, for a four-year, $72 million deal for Kenny Galladay. And we saw how Kenny Galladay, how he missed 11 games last year with that hip injury, his last year in Detroit. To me, I feel like they have they have severely overpaid Kenny Galladay. And I think that John Mara, I think that he's out of his mind thinking that Daniel Jones can win a Super Bowl with them. The New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, for the longest time, you know, Skip Bayless for about 15 years in a row was saying, you know, oh, my Dallas Cowboys, they'll be going up against Tom, my quarterback, Tom Brady, and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Honestly, I talked to Boone about it and I talked to Kyle Williams about it. That's another situation. You know, you sign. Cam Newton to another one-year deal. Uh, you can't really depend on him. You know, he doesn't really – to me, Cam Newton, he had about three good games last year, and that was about it. And obviously with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, finally paying Dak Prescott, you know, how is he going to perform this second year under Mike McCarthy? So I think more than anything, I, I'm just curious to see, you know, Boone said the other night that probably if there's one team – that could still make a run for Deshaun Watson amidst all of the the controversy that's going on with him. It would definitely be Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I mean, think of when he acquired Randy Moss with all of the the character issues that he had. And, of course, obviously we know with Aaron Hernandez, you know, how Belichick was not afraid to draft him either. So it makes you wonder, and like me and Boone talked about, you know, Bill Belichick, he's going to be 69 years old on April 16th. You've got to win now instead of re, you know, spending the last few years of your career in rebuilding mode. New York Jets and the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously that's not much of an appealing matchup. You know, th- these are two teams that are severely in rebuild mode. Obviously new head coaches with Robert Sala in New York and Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. And, you know, obviously a lot of question marks at quarterback as well with the Jets. I mean, it, it sounds like they're willing to move on from Sam Darnold, but where would he end up? Looking at the AFC North versus the NFC West, rematch of Super Bowl Forty, the Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Seattle Seahawks. But, I mean, obviously much, much different than it was 15 years ago. The only constant is Ben Roethlisberger still there in what could be the final season of his career 
And of course, obviously with the Seattle Seahawks, so many question marks there. Russell Wilson is his time in Seattle coming to an end. Obviously, Colin Coward talked about, you know, here's another one, Pete Carroll. He's going to be 70 years old on, on September 15th. Why trade away Russell Wilson and have have to spend the last four years of your career in rebuilding mode? So obviously, I think that that's a matchup that I'm I'm really really excited about. Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they lost so many players this off season through free agency, but I think that was huge that they were able to bring back Tyson Alualu, who it sounded like was going to leave and go back to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Baltimore Ravens, Los Angeles Rams, another intriguing matchup. Obviously, in my opinion, two of the more overrated quarterbacks in the National Football League with Matt Stafford and Lamar Jackson, but a great matchup. And obviously, I think that, as I've said before, you know, Matt Stafford did a remarkable job in Detroit, but it was always the excuse, oh, he doesn't have anybody around him. Well, I mean, you've got one of the brightest minds in the NFL now with Sean McVay. And you've got so many pieces on offense, and obviously you've got a great defense. No excuses. you got to win now. Arizona Cardinals and Cleveland Browns, obviously, I mean, talk about overhyped and everything. I still am not buying into the Arizona hype whatsoever, and I still do not understand why J.J. Watt went there. But Arizona Cardinals and Cleveland Browns, I even hate to say it as a Steelers fan, but this is probably the team that I feel like is going to be the team to beat in the AFC North for years to come. And obviously they, you know, they had the money to to spend in free agency. So, obviously like I said, I think that's a pretty appealing matchup too. San Francisco 49ers, Cincinnati Bengals. I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, I think they're out of their minds wanting a first round pick in order to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Listen, Excuse me. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo, there was so much talk about, you know, Bill Belichick wanting to move on from Tom Brady and make him the starter. And, you know, Tom Brady got wind of it, went up to the front office and, you know, told Robert Kraft. And he was like, oh, we're keeping Tommy. And Bill, obviously, the close relationship that he has had with both of the Shanahan's both with Kyle's father, Mike, and, and obviously Kyle, that was the year that he became the head coach of the 49ers. Obviously, that's not out of the realm of possibilities that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo could be reunited in New England with Bill Belichick. And honestly, myself and Kyle Williams, the one team that we have linked Mac Jones the most to is the Patriots. And I know people are blown out of proportion how – Belichick was shaking his head at the pro day at Alabama's pro day the other day when Mac Jones overthrew a pass. But obviously with the Cincinnati Bengals, you cannot, and I mean cannot, waste that fifth overall pick on a wide receiver, you know, wanting to reunite Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. Like Boone and I have talked about, you build within the trenches, you protect your investment. Joe Burrow had that gruesome injury November 22nd against the Washington football team that fifth overall pick you definitely and I mean definitely take Penny Sewell offensive tackle from Oregon and obviously with the Pittsburgh Steelers you guys know how I feel about this situation I think this is going to be Ben Roethlisberger's last season I've said that for how many years now but that second overall pick 
definitely in the second round. Definitely, if he's available, take Kyle Trask from the Florida Gators because you sure as hell don't have any future with Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins. AFC versus NFC South. Tennessee Titans. Woo! Versus the New Orleans Saints. More than anything, I think that there's a lot of question marks with both these teams. You know, Corey Davis, he signed with the New York Jets. And Arthur Smith, who was the Titans' offensive coordinator, he's now the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, do we see a bit of a drop-off in Derrick Henry's production this year? And obviously with the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees retiring after 20 NFL seasons, you know, and it sounded like at the time being that Sean Payton wants to go ahead with, with Jameis Winston as a starter. You know, we often talk about, you know, what team can go from last to first? It's not often that we talk about a team that could go from first to last. And honestly, I know that Atlanta, I know they have a new head coach. and I know Carolina, it sounds like they're ready to move on from Teddy Bridgewater. But honestly, I don't really, I've never really understood the hype with Jameis Winston. And obviously, I think that he's, he's had a lot of growing up to do. And I definitely feel like New Orleans is definitely taking a step back. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. I think that's definitely one of the more appealing matchups. Here's the amazing thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. The first time since free agency began in 1993. This is the first time in NFL history that a Super Bowl champion has been able to retain all 22 of its starters. How amazing is that? Because obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they had so many guys going into this offseason that were free agents. You know, they franchise they franchised Chris Godwin. Levante David was another one. You know, the, the list goes on and on. And Bruce Arians, you know, that's the other awesome thing too, how he got that, that Super Bowl tattoo. He said that he was a man of his word and that he was going to get a tattoo when they would win a Super Bowl. But... My point is, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, so many, so many starters. Ryan Suckup was another one. Ndamukong Sue was another one. This, was the, the only, this has been the only time in NFL history that a Super Bowl champion has been able to retain all of its starters. And I think that speaks volumes of, I mean, obviously Tom Brady has changed the culture there. But I think it speaks volumes how much they love to play for Bruce Arians, the strong relationship that he and Jason Light have, who's the general manager, going back to their Arizona days. And I will not be surprised one bit if they go back-to-back in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Indianapolis Colts, that's another big story. You know, Carson Wentz getting traded from the Philadelphia Eagles, reuniting with Frank Reich. And, you know, Boone said that really when you think of it, the Colts probably could be the team to beat in this division, but it all depends on Wentz. And any Eagles fan knows this. It depends on his health, which obviously has been in question since he was drafted second overall by the Eagles in 2016. But more than anything, like like I've talked about on the show before, when Carson tore his ACL in December of 2017 against the Rams, to me, he just not he's not been the same ever since. 
And I feel like his confidence has definitely taken a beating. And obviously that's why, not just with the ACL, but I, I feel like that's another reason why we've seen such a drop off in his performance. Carolina Panthers, Houston Texans, that's not an appealing matchup. Obviously, you know, a lot of question marks, a quarterback for both of them. I mean, Deshaun Watson, that's that's a touchy subject right then and there. But the Carolina Panthers sounded like they're willing to move on from Teddy Bridgewater. And obviously with that eighth overall pick, do you take Trey Lance or Justin Fields, or would you even have to trade up to get one of those guys? Atlanta Falcons, Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously, you know, two guys two new head coaches, Arthur Smith with Atlanta, and of course Urban Meyer after many, many years with Utah, the Florida Gators, and the Ohio State Buckeyes finally getting a crack at the NFL. No question that he's definitely going to draft Trevor Lawrence with that number one overall pick. A lot of people have said that this is by far the most appealing matchup. AFC West versus NFC North. The Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Green Bay Packers. And ever since Patrick Mahomes became the starter for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2018, how many times have we heard, oh man, I would love to see a Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl. And we almost got it this last year. Obviously, Kansas City, they made it back to the Super Bowl. But obviously, they got their asses beat by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's what happens when you don't have both of your offensive tackles out there they made the Tampa Bay defense they made life a living hell for Patrick Mahomes and obviously the Green Bay Packers came oh so close to beating Tampa Bay in that NFC championship the thing is when they met week eight in 2019 sure enough Aaron Rodgers was out there at quarterback for the Packers but Patrick Mahomes that was when he had that knee injury the Thursday night game in Denver and he was not available for that game. And Matt Moore, their backup, almost pulled off the upset. And obviously a rematch of the very first Super Bowl as well. So I think that that's definitely the most appealing matchup. And I would not be surprised one bit if that ends up being on Sunday Night Football. Kyle Williams, the Las Vegas Raiders, hosting the Chicago Bears. This would be the second time that John Gruden would be going up against Khalil Mack. Obviously, we all remember how he traded him away, you know, just months after rejoining the Raiders. But that game was over in London in 2019, and they, the Raiders did manage to beat the Bears. And, you know, I think, as I've said so many times, you know, this is a make-or-break year for Derek Carr. I know Kyle a few weeks ago talked about how he felt like you know, Derek Carr was going to get traded, but for the time being, it sounds like he's still going to be there. But Andy Dalton at quarterback for the Chicago Bears, and like Colin Coward talked about, you know, they went all in, not once, but twice, trying to acquire Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, they were willing to give up. You know, they were willing to give up those three first-round picks. But obviously, you know, as we know, the Chicago Bears, it's never been strong with quarterbacks. Even though they're one of the most storied franchises in the NFL, Russell Wilson would be by far the best quarterback they would have ever had. Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, there's so much promise and so much potential with the Chargers. Justin Herbert, you know, winning Offensive Rookie of the Year, getting Brandon Staley, 
from across town with the Rams, you know, to become their head coach. And, of course, you know, the Minnesota Vikings. That's the other thing I wanted to tell you guys. April 17th, myself and Johnny Glow, we will be joining my former co-hosts, Josh Manley and Timmy Bevan, for a special episode of the Average Joe's podcast. We are going to be doing another mock draft with the first round. Like I said, myself, Johnny Glow, Josh Manley, and Timmy Bevan. It's definitely going to feel like old times. And I'll be curious, you know, if, if Johnny Glow, if he's going to be taking a quarterback for the, the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, we, ne- we know about his feelings with Kirk Cousins. And to top it all off, the last of the 17 regular season game matchups, the Denver Broncos and the, D- the Detroit Lions. Obviously, Denver with that ninth overall pick, it sounds like they're not willing to give Drew Locke a fair chance. You know, is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? The Detroit Lions, obviously, the trade that happened in January with Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. You know, so many questions about who is going to be the winner of that trade when it's all said and done. So there you go. Looking back on it, some of the games that I'm excited about with the 17th regular season game, Bills and Washington, Steelers-Seahawks. I'll be honest, Rams, Ravens, Cardinals, and Browns. Buccaneers and Colts, and definitely the Packers, and the Chiefs. So this past weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway, for the first time since 1970, NASCAR, the Cup Series, was racing on dirt. But for the first time since 2019, obviously the Truck Series, they were back on dirt. They raced at Eldora for several years. Obviously that race was canceled Last year, because of COVID-19, and, you know, Tony Stewart, he wanted, he wanted to get a cup race at Eldora, but ultimately they decided to go with Bristol Motor Speedway. So we saw some concerns early on Friday during the two practices for the cup series and the truck series. And I think the biggest concern of all was just seeing all the dust, especially late afternoon into the evening and how much of a hindrance that made for the drivers out there. And, of course, we knew, obviously, about the weather. You know, there was the forecast that called for rain both Saturday and Sunday. And, obviously, with this being a dirt race, you know, they wanted to do heat races like like they usually do at local dirt tracks. So the first heat race for the truck series on Saturday, and, I mean, it had it had poured a majority of Saturday morning at Bristol Motor Speedway. So ultimately the question became, well, what are we going to do about the dirt? You know, what are we going to do about, about the dirt? Is the track going to be all muddy and soupy and everything? And I think the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that NASCAR made for both the truck series and the cup series was running these vehicles with windshields. Anybody that's a diehard dirt fan knows that these guys do not run windshields. They have screens. And obviously, you know, like Ryan Blaney talked about on the Dale Jr. Download, you know, with these screens, obviously you're going to have mud that's that's going to cake and everything. But when that first heat race got going on Saturday afternoon, they made it one lap, one lap. And the guys that were in that first heat race, like Kevin Harvick, like Bubba Wallace, Tyler Ankrum, all these guys, immediately 
their windshields and the front grill, they were just covered. And I mean covered in dirt. And Kevin Harvick, 45 years old, a guy that has been racing since he was five years old when he was racing go-karts. Kevin Harvick told Michael Waltrip, he said, he said, this is the most uncomfortable I've ever been in a race car. And Bubba Wallace, the very first lap of that heat race, not once, not twice, almost three times, he, he almost ended up getting clobbered going off into turn one. He couldn't see anything whatsoever. So it wasn't long after that, the rain came and it didn't take long. It was about six o'clock in the evening. NASCAR pulled the plug and not only initially postponed the truck race to Sunday night, it was going to be nine o'clock on Fox Sports 2, but they canceled the heat races for the truck series and the cup series. And the unfortunate thing about canceling it for the truck series was Ryan Newman, obviously we know about him and we know about his dirt background himself, Jessica Friesen, Stewart's wife, Trevor Collins, J.R. Hefner, he had already withdrawn because he crashed in practice. But these were the four trucks that were going to miss the race. Fortunately for Jessica Friesen, her husband, Stewart, did announce that she will be doing the July 9th truck race at Knoxville Raceway, which will be on dirt. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's no weather there and she'll finally get the chance to race against her husband in the truck series race. But anyway... Sunday morning, the rain not only continued at Bristol, it was absolutely pouring. And it was very, very early on in the morning, probably about, I would say, 9 o'clock. Seeing all of these pictures on Twitter of the parking lot being flooded at Bristol Motor Speedway. And this was not the first time that it had happened either, unfortunately. And I think at that point, myself and Jason Boone, I think pretty much everybody knew, like, there is absolutely no way that they're going to get the cup race and the truck race in today. And I remember this happened in 2017 when it had, it had rained so heavy the, that morning at Bristol Motor Speedway. And it was 1130 in the morning when NASCAR postponed that cup race to Monday afternoon. And so this time around, they didn't wait too long either. It was right at about noon. NASCAR did announce that the NASCAR Cup Series race and the Truck Series race, that they were both postponed to Monday. And the plan in place was the Truck Series race was scheduled for noon and the Cup Series race was scheduled for 4 o'clock. But even then, with all of the hard rain that we had gotten Saturday and Sunday, there were even still some questions. I know Brian Keselowski, Brad's older brother, who works on the 41 truck of, of Dawson Cram. It was late Sunday night. They didn't, they didn't even get to work on the track until about 7.30 on Sunday night. And I think that's the other problem that I have with them doing this at Bristol is it's not a real dirt track obviously like Knoxville Raceway or Eldora Speedway, you know, there you have, I mean, it's, it's dirt. It's not a concrete surface or an asphalt surface and you're just pouring all of this dirt and this clay on top of it. And obviously once you get all these showers and everything, it makes for some horrible conditions. And Brian Keselowski, it was late Sunday night, 
that he tweeted that he wasn't even sure if the truck race and the cup race were even going to be able to start on time on Monday. So ultimately, with all this going on, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a joke. This is a farce. This is just the latest example, you know, for NASCAR to, to, for entertainment purposes. You know, these were the thoughts that I had going into, going into Monday. And I'm thinking to myself, honestly, at this point, I'm hoping and praying that this is going to be the only time that they try this. And ultimately, Monday morning, seeing the videos from Jamie Little on Twitter and just seeing it 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, seeing how well and how prepared the track was and it wasn't muddy and the dirt and the clay was sticking very well and everything, I thought, wow. Like, I really, really need to commend NASCAR and Bristol Motor Speedway, especially for getting this track ready after such awful conditions on Saturday and Sunday. So, just a little afternoon on Monday, we finally got the truck race going, and John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill, they were on the front row, obviously not much dirt experience, so it wasn't really much of a surprise that Sheldon Creed got to the lead early on. But I think the biggest surprise out of all of this, Martin Truex Jr., you know, one of many cup drivers in the field, but obviously Martin not having tons of dirt experience. You know, obviously going into this race, you think Kyle Larson or Chase Briscoe, even Bubba Wallace having a win at Eldora in 2014. These were the guys, the cup drivers, that you probably would have expected to win. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone really thought that Martin Truex Jr. was going to win this race. And he took the lead 43 laps in. And went on to win that first stage against a guy like Sheldon Creed and Stuart Friesen, another guy that has a renowned dirt background. But I think the biggest, uh, I think one of the biggest stories was just all of the chaos early on, especially in the first stage. You know, Tanner Gray spinning out, and then the horrible starts for Tyler Ankrum and Chandler Smith. They continue. You know, they both crashed out early on, and of course John Hunter Nemechek, who pretty much has been the favorite so far. You know, getting turned by Matt Crafton 50 laps into the race, and he would have been fine. And just seconds later, Derek Krause came piling in and ruined his day. And just seeing John Hunter being pissed off at Matt Crafton and how the temper is boiled between those two teams, you know, how Matt Crafton's team was talking about how they wanted a throat punch, you know, John Hunter. And, you know, John Hunter talking about how he felt like when they get to Richmond for the next truck race that he should give glasses out to Derek Krause, Derek Krause's spotter. I mean, it was just crazy early on. And I think it shocked me to see Martin Trex Jr. dominating a race on dirt and seeing Kyle Larson struggle so much. He was driving the 44 truck for Al Nice. And Kyle really didn't run inside the top 10 all that much. You know, I mean, here's, here's Truex, but everyone's thinking like, oh, it's, it's Kyle Busch Motorsports. I mean, you could put anyone in there. Obviously, Kyle Busch. You could put Denny Hamlin in there, or even, even Bubba Wallace. You could put anyone in that 51 truck, and they'll win instantly. Look at, look at Greg Bithell at Texas Motor Speedway two years ago, coming out of retirement and winning right off the bat. But... It was definitely a shock to see Kyle Larson struggle so much. I mean, he took a hell of a shot towards the end of that race. Huge, huge wreck down in turn three. You know, him and his teammate Brett Moffitt and 
Mike Marler, who was driving for Timmy Hill, he sort of stopped like right in right in the middle of the track. But I mean, thankfully, thankfully everybody was okay. And I was definitely, like I said, I was shocked, absolutely shocked to see Martin Truex Jr. If he were to win a truck race, you would have expected if if Dover was still on the schedule or New Hampshire or even Watkins Glen. You know, if the cup drivers would have been allowed for that race, but that's the regular season finale for the truck series. You would have even expected, obviously, like a mile and a half, like in Atlanta or Texas. But I think what surprised me, Martin Trex Jr. winning the truck race for Kyle Busch Motorsports and how his cup crew chief, James Small, how he told James right before the season started that he felt like he missed his calling with dirt racing. You know, Martin grew up racing go-karts and racing on these little bullring short tracks around, you know, New Jersey and Connecticut and Vermont, being a part of the Bush North Series like his dad, Martin Sr. It was definitely a shock to everyone. So Martin Trex Jr. becomes the 36th driver in the history of NASCAR to win in all of the top three divisions, Cup, Xfinity, and now the Truck Series. Taking a look at the finishing order, Ben Rhodes, great start to the season, continues. He finished second. Rafael Assard, much, much needed third-place finish. You know, Rafael said that growing up in Canada and having to drive through the snow and everything, he feels like that's why he adapted so well to dirt racing. Todd Gilliland was fourth. Chase Briscoe rounding out the top five. Grant Enfinger, sixth. Zane Smith, seventh. Parker Kligerman, 8th, and the two Austins, Hill and Wayne Self, Austin Wayne Self, they rounded out the top 10. Bubba Wallace was 11th, Stewart Friesen 12th. That was definitely a shock. I think everyone expected Stewart to not only contend for the win, but probably win the whole thing overall. Tanner Gray, Matt Crafton, Kevin Harvick, 15th, Sheldon Creed, 16th, Daniel Suarez, 17th. Chase Purdy, Haley Deegan, and Ryan Truex, that was your top 20. So the truck race ended just a little before 2 o'clock, a little after 2 o'clock, excuse me. And a little after 4 o'clock, we finally got going with the very first cup race on dirt since September of 1970. And like I said, one of the problems that we had was, you know, the windshields and the grills and it, it reared its ugly head early on. Denny Hamlin leading the very first lap on dirt for the Cup Series in almost 51 years, but two laps in. His teammate Kyle Busch passing him for the lead. You know, and you're thinking to yourself, like, is this the day, you know, that Kyle Busch gets back to victory lane? You know, gets that first win with a new crew chief and a new team. Uh-uh. Kyle led about seven laps. Before Martin Trex Jr., the dirt ace that he is all of a sudden, you know, he took the lead. But obviously all of this dirt, it blocked the front grill of Kyle's car and he overheated and had to come down pit road early on. So once again, you know, the struggles continue for Kyle Busch. But, you know, here's Martin Trex Jr. dominating a race on dirt. And the other problem, you know, starting this race at 4 o'clock in the afternoon is... All this dust, just like it was in practice on Friday, and you can't see. And early on, another one, the struggles continue, Eric Almarola, you know, he spins coming off a of turn two and on the back straightaway, and then next thing you know, 
everybody's piling in. Corey LaJoy was one of them. Shane Golobic, dirt racer that he is. Even Stuart Friesen got a part of it. And Anthony Alfredo at the last second, you know, he piles in and he hits Eric Almarola. And immediately Eric comes over the radio and is bitching and complaining about Anthony Alfredo. He couldn't see, Eric. What do you expect? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Eric Almarola might be one of the nicest guys there is in the sport, but I have never seen I have never seen someone going back to his predecessor in the ten car, Danica Patrick. Between those two, I have never seen two drivers underachieve more in top notch equipment. Now you could say, you know, Stuart Haas, they're struggling this year. I get that. But I mean, really, what has Eric Almarola done in that ten car? He hasn't set the world on fire. He won that Talladega race when Kurt Busch ran out of gas. He got knocked out of the first round in 2019. He looked good early on last year and then faded the second half of the year. I keep saying this. He better hope and pray that Smithfield comes back for 2022. Otherwise, he's getting booted from that 10 car. I mean, we're seven races into 2021, and Eric Almarola does not have a single top 10 finish. So, you know, he might be a good guy and everything, but quit complaining and perform if you want to keep that ride for 2022. So the chaos did not stop early on. William Byron spinning Ryan Newman. And in the midst of all this, you know, Chase Briscoe, it's been a steep learning curve, but it's a dirt race. He grew up on dirt. He won the truck race at Eldora. I said on my last podcast, I felt like Chase was definitely capable of getting a top five finish. And in the midst of all this, once again, you can't see what's going on. And Kevin Harvick, he sort of crowded Chase Briscoe into the wall, and Briscoe climbed the wall. And so, like I said, I'm sure that definitely had to be a little bit of an interesting team meeting at Stuart Haas Racing. And I know that Chase Briscoe himself, you know, he talked about this off weekend could not have come at a better time. But I think going forward, you know, he was running strong at Bristol. He had that test at Nashville just a few days beforehand. You know, I feel like eventually, eventually, his luck will turn around. So we were not done wrecking early on. And the other unfortunate thing I forgot to mention was, you know, when when qualifying was canceled and these heat races were canceled, Kyle Larson was on the pole, obviously, after dominating the previous weekend at Atlanta. But him and Cliff Daniels on Friday, they had to change the engine. He had to start the back of the field, and it did not take him long to march his way up towards the front. I mean, he was running fourth, 54 laps in on dirt at Bristol after starting dead last in 39th. So I picked him, and I'm thinking, like, man, like, my pick is still looking good. You know, my pick is still looking good. And Christopher Bell, another dirt ace, he spins in between the middle of turns one and two and comes right down into Kyle Larson's path. And initially, he, both of them would have been fine. And at the last second, talk about irony, Ross Chastain, who took over Larson's 42 car, came piling in and hit Kyle pretty hard. And so Christopher's day was done. Obviously, Ross's day was done. But Kyle Larson, tons and tons of damage to the front end of that car. So as much, as great as I was at picking drivers last year, I've been awful with it this year. (laughs) So Martin Trex Jr., you know, he goes on to win the first stage. And I got to say, 
Truex, Joey Logano, you know, guys like that. To me, the story and the driver of the race was Daniel Suarez. You know, Daniel obviously being from Mexico, working his way up the ladder, winning that 2016 Nationwide Championship with Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity Championship, and then immediately getting thrust into Carl Edwards' 19 car in 2017, pretty much being thrown to the wolves, and getting booted out of that car after two seasons, going over to Stuart Haas Racing to take over the 41 car, but getting booted. Obviously, Cole Custer, you know, his... His father works at Stuart Haas Racing, and I'm not try- that's not a knock on Cole Custer or anything, but obviously there was no stability for Daniel early on in his career. You, you're driving the 19 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. You're definitely the bottom of the totem pole when you're on a team with Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and also Eric Jones at the time. And obviously, you know, he ended up getting the boot as well. But obviously, you know, two seasons of Joe Gibbs Racing, four top five finishes, your alliance that you had with Furniture Row Racing, they have to close their doors. So immediately if you're Joe Gibbs, what do you do? Do you stick with Daniel? Or obviously do you get a guy that just beat your company the year before for a cup championship, Martin Trex Jr.? You're going to sign Martin Trex Jr. And so, you know, you go to Stuart Haas Racing in 2019. And ultimately, we know Kevin Harvick, the number one guy at Stuart Haas Racing, their number one priority, everyone fighting for a second. You know, it was sort of a toss-up between Clint Boyer and Eric Almirola, who was pretty much the number two guy at Stuart Haas Racing at the time. So once again, you know, Daniel, you're the bottom of the totem pole at Stuart Haas Racing and get booted after one year. And Daniel had a rough, rough year last year, missing the Daytona 500, driving that 96 car for Gaunt Brothers Racing, with a best finish of 18th at Bristol and at Kansas, you know, and going to this new team with Trackhouse, Justin Marks and Pitbull, and ultimately being, you know, another satellite team for Richard Childress Racing. And Saturday night, after everything got rained out at Bristol, they had a special on Trackhouse on Fox Sports 1. And I think that's the number one thing is Daniel is with a team that believes in him. You know, Justin Marks, one of the smartest guys there is in the sport. And having a big name like Pitbull, and that's the thing, obviously, Pitbull and Daniel Suarez, both of them being of Latino descent, you know, this is a great opportunity. Everyone's talked about, you know, Bubba Wallace, Michael Jordan, and Denny Hamlin, 23XI and so on and so forth. And that's a great story in itself. And obviously that's a way to attract more African-American fans to our sport. Obviously with Daniel and Pitbull, that's a great way to attract more Latino fans to the sport. And I think it's been pretty amazing. Daniel talked about how miserable he was in 2020 and just seeing how, how happy and joyful he is again and it showed early on. And obviously having a smart crew chief in Travis Mack. You know, Travis spent many years at Hendrick Motorsports under the tutelage of Steve Letarte, working with Jeff Gordon, working with Dale Earnhardt Jr., and then eventually becoming a crew chief at Junior Motorsports, guiding Michael Annette to an Xfinity win at Daytona in 2019. And even Dale Jr.'s last season, Greg Ives getting suspended for the 2017 Richmond race. Travis Mack being the car chief. He was the crew chief for that race. 
as much as Dale Jr. struggled, that was by far his best race of 2017. And Travis put him in position to win that race and get into the playoffs his last season. Ultimately, the strategy and the cautions, they didn't work. Dale finished 13th and unfortunately missed the playoffs his final season. But my point is, when you're building a solid foundation like that, and you have people that believe in you. And obviously, you know, being a single car team, you're the top priority, but you're getting your, your cars and your engines from Richard Childress. I see a spark in Daniel Suarez. And I mean, to pass Martin Trex Jr. for the lead and the lead 58 laps, obviously a career high that he has ever led in any race. You know, it's definitely refreshing to see. But obviously, as the afternoon became, as we went into the evening, more and more dust, hard to see, and, you know, after a competition caution. The other, the other problem I have with this was initially, you know, 250 laps and how NASCAR, they change things in the middle of the week as usual. You know, all of a sudden, oh, we're going to, you know, we're worried about the tires, so we're going to change the tires. We're worried about the tire wear. And initially how, you know, it was the second, the first stage was going to end at lap 75, the second stage was going to end at lap 150. Now, all of a sudden, Saturday night, you're like, oh, well, stage one ends lap 100. Stage two is lap 200. Obviously, no live pit stops or either. NASCAR, they, me, and, me and Sean Rosansky, we met up for the end of the race on Monday after I got out of work. And, you know, Sean said that that's the one thing is that everything with this race – the, I mean, they promoted it well, but obviously how they kept changing the rules and the format and everything, you know, Sean said that was done pretty poorly. So here we are, competition caution, you know, lap 150, and it's a restart, and, you know, Bubba Wallace, Chase Elliott, they're racing each other pretty hard, and, you know, everybody checks up, and then all of a sudden it's a parking lot on the front stretch, like Clint Boyer said. You know, Austin Dillon, another guy that was expected to be a favorite. Kyle Larson, insult to injury. And Ryan Blaney getting the whole left rear quarter panel of the car ripped off. You know, him and Kyle Busch. Ryan Priest, who was having a strong run. I mean, Alex Bowman, you know, to no surprise. But Alex, you know, a lot of people were expecting him to possibly win. And he looked strong early on, but, you know, breaking a transmission and not having fourth gear. You know, when you have situations like that, that puts you back there. And so, you know, like I said, obviously, you know, for Alex, once again, once again, basically, I know Larson was, you know, caught up in an accident. But obviously, to me, Alex Bowman is definitely the weakest link of the four at Hendrick Motorsports. And I mean, to finish a lap down in 22nd, that just proves it. No matter what situations you might have had. Like Sean and I talked about, you know, you change the stage format, you change the tires, you change when the caution flags are going to fall. And here, obviously, with all the dust and everything, and now all of a sudden you say, well, well, we're going with single file restarts for the rest of the race. Single file restarts, which haven't been done since May of 2009 at Dover International Speedway. That was the last race before we went to single file restarts. It's like me and Sean talked about, you know, NASCAR, be consistent with your rules instead of just changing them in the middle of the weekend or the middle of the race like you feel like it. So ultimately, you know, 
Joey Logano did a remarkable job getting ready for this dirt race. And he passed Daniel Suarez for the lead with seven laps to go in the second stage. Goes on to win the second stage. And as they're on pit road for their three-minute break and everything, it's announced on the Colossus, on Colossus, the big TV that they have (laughs) at Bristol, that they would be coming back to Bristol in 2022 with a dirt race. And the crowd just erupted, as you can imagine. Ultimately, you know, Joey was in command this final stage. And it was looking like he was well on his way to victory when Mike Marler, once again driving for Timmy Hill and Carl Long, he blew a tire and spun, bringing out the caution with just four laps to go. And we go into overtime, and Joey, he's a great driver, but he's also been known to be too aggressive at times. And the one driver, you know, I mean, he's, he's had feuds with just about everybody. Denny Hamlin, Ryan Newman, obviously his teammate Brad Keselowski. And I got to say, Brad, Brad and Jeremy Bollins, it was Jeremy's first race back after the suspension in at Atlanta. And like I said, Brad only having two dirt races to his name, 2015 truck race at Eldora, the late dirt late model race at Cochrane, Georgia on March 12th. I thought Brad did a remarkable job of keeping the car out of trouble, keeping it in one piece. I mean, he faded at 26 at one point, but to come home 11th was definitely a remarkable job for that two crew. You know, with, like I said, obviously everything that's been going on lately with the problems on pit road, Jeremy's suspension at Atlanta and how poorly the team performed at Atlanta. Definitely a good, good finish for Brad Keselowski and some momentum going into the off weekend. But Denny... Think about this for a second. This is where the rivalry began between the two of them was March of 2013 at Bristol when Denny punted Joey Logano, obviously his first season at Penske after they were teammates at Gibbs. Joey spun and backed him in the fence and then tried to get after Denny after the race was over. And, of course, they had a little brawl um, in the infield after the race was over between the two crews. And Denny, how he made the comment, he said, you know, he said that he'll get me, but he's never near me anyway. And then, of course, a week later at California Speedway, racing each other for the win on the last lap when Joey, as we know, hooked Denny and he hits the inside wall head on concrete, has to miss five races because of a back injury. And how Joey came over the radio and said, now we're even. If I'm Denny Hamlin and this is someone that cost me five races and it was a horrible crash, devastating crash. If I'm Denny Hamlin and you have a chance to win the first ever dirt race at Bristol, knowing the way that Joey has raced you, knowing how you've had feuds ever since you're no longer teammates and you've got two laps to go on a short track and a dirt track, I'm punting his ass out of the way for the win. I was completely shocked that Denny didn't move him at the end of the race. And I think, you know, Denny, I think it's definitely a sign of maturity. And I think it's, you know, he's hoping for some good karma, obviously, as the season goes on. As a guy, you know, that has not won a championship just yet. But like I said, you know, like the old saying goes, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Race them the way they race you. And obviously, you know, if I'm Denny Hamlin, like I said, I I definitely would have moved Joey Logano at the end of that race for the win. Because, I mean, let's face it, seven races in, seven different winners. 
you know, even though Denny's leading the points, and even though you'll still have a spot in the playoffs as a regular season champion, it is getting crowded at the top. And like I said, you take pride in winning anything, but an inaugural race especially, especially, you do what you got to do, you move the guy out of the way, and you win the race. You know, look after yourself instead of, you know, just trying to have good juju for later on in the season. So, Joey Logano goes on to win the race, the inaugural Bristol Dirt Race, the 27th win of his career, breaking a tie with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Taking a look at the final rundown of Monday evening's Bristol Dirt Race, Joey Logano, the winner, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., to no surprise, dirt ace that he is, he was able to finish second, and what a remarkable start to the season. Very quiet, but consistent start to the season for him. Points leader Denny Hamlin was third. Like I said, to me, the driver and the story of the race, Daniel Suarez, he finished in fourth. For Daniel, this was his first top five and top ten finish since, get ready for this, folks, when he finished third on November 3rd, 2019, at Texas Motor Speedway. And like I said, a career day, 58 laps, that's the most laps he's ever led in a race. Rounding out the top five was Ryan Newman, Ryan's first top five finish since finishing second to Ryan Blaney at Talladega in October of 2019. Good for Ryan Newman. Really, really happy for him. Finishing sixth was William Byron. Woo! You know, Sean was pretty happy about that on Monday. Obviously, very, very limited dirt experience for Willie B as well. Tyler Reddick, obviously all the experience that he has from 27th to 7th. Ryan Blaney, whose car looked like <laughs> like a can opener, obviously with the whole left recorder panel torn off, he finished in 8th. How about Eric Jones, ninth in Richard Petty's 43 car, who ironically, up until Monday, had won the last race on dirt, Richard Petty, September of 1970 at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds. Eric Jones finishing in ninth. And rounding out the top ten was defending champion Chase Elliott. As I mentioned, Brad Keselowski, solid and respectable day for him and Jeremy Bolins. Like I said, Jeremy's first race back. And obviously Brad, with his limited dirt experience, to finish in 11th, I thought that was remarkable. And a lot of good tracks coming up for Brad once we get past this Easter break. Obviously, the two wins at Martinsville, two wins at Richmond, winning there last year, his five wins at Talladega. And, of course, also some wins at, you know, two wins at Kansas, one went at Darlington, one went at Dover, and he did take part in the test at Circuit of the Americas on March 2nd. It was him, Chase Elliott, Martin Trex Jr. Michael McDowell, solid start to the season, continues. He finished 12th. Matt DiBenedetto from the back of the field to 13th. Chris Buescher, another solid run in 14th. And Kevin Harvick, the struggles continue for him and Rodney Childers. They finished 15th and have not led a lap since the season opening Daytona 500. 16th and 17th were the Bush brothers, big brother Kurt in 16th, little brother Kyle in 17th. Ryan Priest was 18th. Martin Trex Jr., who led a race-high 126 laps. Martin had a flat tire with two laps to go and faded to 19th, last car in the lead lap. Chase Briscoe and Austin Dillon, obviously two of the heavy favorites, I guess you could say, going into the race. 
but obviously getting caught up in accidents, Chase was 20th, and Austin Dillon 21st. 22nd was Alex Bowman. Like I said, the disastrous day that they had on Monday. Looked good early on, but, you know, breaking the transmission and getting caught up in an accident, finishing 22nd, one lap down with no stage points. Finishing 23rd in his Cup Series debut was Stuart Friesen after 150 laps in the truck. Cole Custer, 24th. Quinn Huff, 25th. Ty Dillon, 26th. Bubba Wallace, 27th. That's the other unfortunate thing, too. I know there's been a lot of talk and a lot of praise about how well Trackhouse has done so far this year and how they've really, I guess you could say, outperformed 23XI in the battle of the new teams. But Bubba was doing a great job on Monday. He got all the way up to 7th. He finished seventh in both of the stages, stage one and stage two. He looked like he was on his way towards the top ten finish. And unfortunately, with a few laps to go, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. got into him, cut his left rear tire down, and Bubba spun and finished 27th. And NASCAR didn't throw a caution flag. Like I said, consistently inconsistent. J.J. Yaley was 28th. Kyle Larson, the favorite for the race, five laps down in 29th. Josh Balicki, 30th. Mike Marler in his cup debut, 31st. Cody Ware, Chris Windham in his cup debut, 33rd. Christopher Bell and Ross Chastain, 34th and 35th. Eric Almarola, 36th. Shane Golobic in his cup debut, 37th. Corey LaJoy, 38th. And rounding out the field was Anthony Alfredo in 39th. So as I mentioned, Bristol Motor Speedway with 50 laps to go in the race. They did announce that this race will be back, the Bristol Dirt Race for 2022. Ultimately, I thought that this this was a good race. It was better than I expected. You know, I was very, very skeptical going into the weekend and Monday. I was even very skeptical last year when they announced this. Ultimately, like I said, I thought it was a good race. It was one of the slowest races in NASCAR history, average speed of 46.3 miles per hour. I think ultimately, when it's all said and done, I'm excited that it's going to come back for 2022. But I think moving forward, like a lot of people talked about, the one problem was all the dust. And obviously, having to push the race back to Monday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, that creates the problems where you can't see and you get a big pileup like you had on the front stretch with Blaney and Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, and Alex Bowman, so on and so forth. So moving forward, I know a lot of people talked about, you know, running this race at night. I know a lot of people were hoping for Monday Night NASCAR. I wasn't because I had work at 5 a.m. the next day. I was happy that that they started at 4 o'clock. I'm like, get right ahead. But moving forward for next year, this Bristol Dirt Race, A, It needs to be run on Saturday night, so obviously you don't have the problem of all the dust and creating a vision impairment for all the drivers and also for all the the fans as well. And the other problem, too, is Bristol Motor Speedway in March. Obviously, you're up in the, the mountains of Tennessee, and as we have known for so many years at Bristol Motor Speedway in March, How many times have we had weather delays? And this was just the latest example of it. You know, it it rained majority of Saturday. It looked optimistic that we were going to get 
The heat race is in for the trucks and the Cup Series and even the truck race itself, but once the rain came, NASCAR didn't wait long. And of course, obviously, thankfully, no serious injuries or fatalities Sunday morning with the flooding in the parking lot. I think ultimately, when NASCAR, the spring race of Bristol last year, was originally going to be on April 5th. And of course, the middle of March was when the season was suspended for COVID-19. And the Bristol race itself was postponed to May 31st. When they came back there for that spring race on May 31st, the weather was absolutely beautiful. Not just Sunday, but also Monday night with the Xfinity cars. And ultimately, when NASCAR made the decision to move the All-Star Race from Charlotte Motor Speedway to Bristol Motor Speedway on July 15th, because the number of COVID cases in North Carolina was spiking, the weather that Wednesday night at Bristol Motor Speedway was beautiful as well. So, moving forward, like I said, make this a Saturday night race, and also move it to sometime as early as May maybe even in June, or maybe even as late as July. And like I said, you will make this such a better event for everybody. And I know Marcus Smith, who's in charge of Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, he was on the Dale Jr. Download on Tuesday with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Mike Davis, and they talked about a lot of things moving forward. And you know, Dale Jr. said to him that he could honestly see Come 2026, five years down the road, he said that he wouldn't even be surprised one bit of both races at Bristol. The spring race and the night race of both of them were on dirt. And of course, as we know with Dale Earnhardt Jr., never being a fan of concrete racing, you know, as someone that grew up watching Bristol be an asphalt track and Dover being an asphalt track, and as much as he loves Bristol, you know, always talking about how when he would race there, when he would race at Bristol, but especially Dover, that concrete service, how it would make the tires feel like basketballs. And he was, he was praying during the podcast. He was telling Marcus Smith that he was, he, he's, he's, like, let, he's like, let me know if the, the concrete tears up and we need to get asphalt. I'll start asking for quotes now. <laughs> you know, he, he, I mean, he's praying just yeah, he's praying that, that Bristol has to become an asphalt track again. I think ultimately, Bristol is a short track. And if you want this to be a part of the Cup Series schedule, let's go to a real dirt track. I mean, obviously, you know, it was an ugly situation with Tony Stewart and Eldora Speedway. I doubt we're ever going to get a Cup race there. But obviously, I'm very, very intrigued with that July 9th truck series race at Knoxville Raceway and of course we know the Knoxville Nationals in, in mid-August how that is basically like the Daytona 500 for the world of outlaws I think if Knoxville is a hit then see if you could get an Xfinity race there and a cup series race there because I know Justin Allgaier you know he tweeted on Monday in between the the truck race and the cup race you know it did kind of suck that Xfinity got left out in Bristol especially which has always had two Xfinity races ever since the series began in 1982. Just one Xfinity race there, and that's when they go back in September. I know Justin was pleading for NASCAR to have an Xfinity race on dirt next year at Bristol, so only time will tell. But like I said, I think ultimately those are ways to make the event better, 
And like I said, if, if you want to have a dirt race, then let's have it at a real dirt track, like, say, Knoxville, Iowa. So, Marcus, the other interesting thing is, you know, they talked about a lot of different things. There's talk about Atlanta, you know, is it going to get repaved? Is it going to get reconfigured? And, of course, the big elephant in the room, North Wilkesboro Speedway, which was a part of the original NASCAR schedule in 1949, and obviously was shut down in 1996, and it's been heartbreaking to see the track just rot away. And Marcus Smith said that we have not given up one bit on North Wilkesboro. So picture if somehow, some way, we were able to get back there one day. And I think the other interesting thing was Marcus said, come 2026, he wants to have a roof over Bristol Motor Speedway. And I'll be honest with you guys, I think I deserve a little bit of credit for that myself because when I was a senior in high school, we had to do a senior portfolio. And my English teacher, Mr. Carey, one of the features in it, he asked us, what is an invention that you would come up with? Well, at the end of my junior year, Pocono Raceway, that was always, to me, that, that's what officially got my summer going, was going to the junior race at Pocono. And that particular year in 2007, it started raining at 1230 in the afternoon and it poured and poured and poured until probably about, I don't know, 2, 2.30, somewhere around there. So this race didn't get going until five o'clock in the afternoon. And then about seven o'clock, the rain came back and NASCAR had no choice but to call the rest of the race. Obviously with it, there being no lights and it getting dark out. So my senior invention was to create <laughs> was to create a roof over all of the racetracks so we wouldn't have situations like this, like at Pocono or like Bristol Motor Speedway with them having, you know, all of the weather issues that they seem to have in March. So Marcus, you know, if, if you end up doing this, I, I think I deserve a little bit of credit too. <laughs> And ultimately, before we wrap things up here, on Thursday, which was April Fool's Day, NASCAR held a test session at Martinsville Speedway with Kyle Larson and Chris Buescher. And I mean, you know, obviously Kyle Larson, even now that he's driving for Hendrick Motorsports, the most successful team in the history of Martinsville Speedway, Kyle, without a doubt, he'll be the first to tell you Martinsville is his worst track. When he drove there for Chip Ganassi, 12 starts, one top five finish. Ironically, five years ago today, finishing third in the spring race in Martinsville behind Kyle Busch and AJ Allmendinger. But other than that, one other top 10 finish at Martinsville. And that was ninth in the fall of 2019. Obviously, he did not race there at all last year when he was suspended. But Kyle Larson, his track record at Martinsville, four DNFs. Engine failure, fall 2013, crashed in the fall 2014, crashed in the fall 2017, and an engine failure in the fall 2018. Like we've talked about so many times, Kyle Larson has been good in the regular season and then just chokes in the playoffs. And even 2017, the spring race there, he was awarded the pole when qualifying was rained out. And even though he led 23 laps, he faded to 17th at the end. Anyway, my point is, they had a test session with him and Chris Buescher, and what they did was they soaked the track with water, 
like they did at the Bristol Dirt Race. And they brought a tire, a rain tire. And Bob Pockers from Fox Sports said that what NASCAR is hoping to do is these flatter, shorter tracks like a Martinsville, like a Richmond, or Loudoun, New Hampshire, even Phoenix. You know, we've seen where the championship finale is. We've seen where Phoenix, from time to time, in, in the fall, we get rain. And Bob said that the point that of this test was to see if Goodyear could finally come up with a tire that can make racing suitable at these flatter, smaller tracks and where we could get the race in on a Sunday or a, even a Saturday night for all you know. So it's going to be really, really intriguing. And, you know, I will be curious to see. Bob said that these rain tires could be available for the race at Richmond in two weeks. So very, very intriguing times. And how ironic, like I said, to have that test on April Fool's Day of all days. (laughs) So that's going to do it for episode 53 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope everybody and their families have a wonderful Easter weekend. Episode 54 of Jake's Take will be available sometime next week, either Thursday night or Friday morning, as we preview the weekend at Martinsville Speedway. We're going to have an Xfinity race there Friday night, 8 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. And then next Saturday, the very first Saturday night race of 2021 for the NASCAR Cup Series at Martinsville Speedway. And that race will kick off 7.30 on Fox Sports 1. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Have a great day. Y'all take it easy.